Today on Wine Access Unfiltered. One of the things that opened up my eyes in this wine journey is we were doing a wine dinner with Kevin Durant. Everyone was talking about what was the benefit of wines. And he said, I like to drink wine the night before a game because in the fourth quarter, my focus intensifies. And I said, wow, how's that? He said, because my sweat goes to another level and I'm more zoned Zoned in. in, in, in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered podcast. I am really excited to talk to Kamal Botandani. He is the CEO of Hot Living. Vanessa, I know that he is uh, an acquaintance of yours. He is. I met him here in Napa Valley through a mutual friend and wine appreciator. And as we know, wine kind of brings people together from uh, all walks of life and all over uh, the world. And um, this is, you know, a great example of that. Absolutely. Well, he is a man who can claim Kevin Durant as a mentor in wine. Who can say that? Uh, He's also someone that has had some fairly insane wine experiences. He set the bar pretty high for us in terms of selecting them. <laughs> <laughs> <to send> them. <laughs> yeah, he he rattled off some first growth Bordeaux, some Grand Cru Burgundies, some Colt Napa cabs, some of his favorites. So it was a bit of a task. I mean, I like to drink those wines too, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> but, uh, but trying to find some wines that maybe he hasn't had or something that would be uh, delicious for him today was... Yeah, I'm excited to find out though what he... I, I'm pretty... I'm pretty happy with their selections. So. I am too. I, you know, he was somebody that has said that he's trying to get more into domestic wine, specifically domestic Pinot Noirs. So of course, naturally your mind goes to Oregon. Yeah. I mean, Oregon's kind of crushing it, especially for those who love Burgundy uh, and love uh, Pinot Noirs with a little bit more of a savory sense. So that was a, a natural extension. And then as far as, we, you know, we wanted to do a cap, of course, because this guy loves Bordeaux. Uh, he's also mentioned Napa. So maybe trying to find like a good go-between, you know, something that uh, has Bordeaux sensibilities. We've we've talked about that before. So a Napa producer, but who has some sort of more of that freshness and savoriness of the old world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I can definitely think of a handful of those. I don't know if he's had the producer that we landed on, but it definitely has some like... Oh, yeah, definitely important producer to Napa, iconic vineyard. So uh, hopefully we'll have success. All right. Well, let's see how he likes it. Please welcome to the show, Kamal Hochandani. And without any further ado, let's drink. Well, welcome to the show, Kamal. We are so excited to have you on the Wine Access Unfiltered podcast. You've got some wines in front of you. We do this with all of our guests. We we get a little intel and select some wines. So uh, just confirm for me that you've got some juice in front of you. I do. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me. I'm super excited as well. It's great to see you again. And I'm excited to to talk about wine and, and your experiences and uh, anything else that may come up over our, the next couple of minutes. Yeah. Perfect. So um, we always we always like to start with the wine because, you know, we love wine and, and I hear you do too. Um, so we heard that you love Burgundy and Bordeaux and we're interested in getting into some more domestic wines, specifically like California and Oregon Pinot. Um, but you also have a love of the great Bordeaux uh, like Lafitte and Margot. Um, so we selected two wines. You're a hard man to choose for. I will tell you that. Might I say you set the bar very high. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm, I'm super uh, excited to try what you guys sent. So thank you. <laughs> so so the first one we we picked for you is the Chris Tom Pinot Noir, which is from Willamette, Oregon, uh, from the Ala Amity Hills. Um, a really lovely Burgundian-esque style Oregon Pinot Noir. So, um, Vanessa, what do you think of this wine? I think it's delicious and it showcases when I sort of blind taste trying, you know, Oregon benchmarked against other regions. There's there's always this sort of fresh picked berry note to mm-hmm. Oregon Pinot that I get. Um, almost like if you like went to a farmer's market and you just threw a bunch of different like fresh picked berries in your basket and they all got mixed up in there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I'm getting on the nose of this. And it's, it, yeah, it's really enticing. Yeah. Kamal, as a Burgundy lover, as you stick your nose in the glass, is there uh, something Burgundian reminiscent for you? Yeah, I love it. I like what you're saying. I love the fresh berries angle of it. Um, let me try a little. And I love that Williamette uh, region. I've recently fallen into love into it more and more. And I, I do love the Burgundian influences there. But in speaking to people, I know that they have their very distinct style there. So I have... Uh, Every day in my most recent days, these are the wines I've been trying more and more, moving away from a lot of the older wines, old world wines that I've been 
grown accustomed to. Well, that was something we actually wanted to ask you, which is knowing that you're sort of an old world wine drinker, you know, loving Burgundy and Bordeaux, like what inspired this, um, you know, exploration of the new world? So I would say um, Carmelo Anthony, the NBA star, became a good friend and we started drinking wines together in 2012 when he moved to New York. And he called me one day after we had, I met him through an editorial and his love for watches and we really hit it off and we start speaking. And over the next few months of became, becoming friends, he said, let's do a dinner where you bring two of your best bottles and we'll meet on a Sunday night. And he showed up with a Latash and um, another Burgundy. And I was, you know, with the Bordeaux guys and we came in and little by little, he shifted me, my appreciation to Burgundy. And then from that, I started exploring domestic wines and He's been a big part of the wine journey. And then him moving to Portland and being up in that region, he would tell me, you're missing out. And most recently he came to play the Miami Heat and we went to dinner and he said, you have to try these wines. Some of them aren't crazy priced of what you're used to, but they'll drink. And he would pull out and I said, well, more and more. And we would, you know, FaceTime and things. And so he gave me a little bit more of an education. And I was fortunate enough as owning a media company to go to the auction Napa Valley for about five to six years straight and around the 2010, 11 area. And I had uh, uh, Mr. Harlan on the cover. And um, so I was then introduced to the Napa Valley Reserve, which, you know, it's very hard to beat some of the wines that you, that whole experience. And that Napa trip, uh, those every year I would make sure I would get back there and get to go to the auction and do that. So that really led to my love um, in domestic wines. And then it evolved to the sort of the Pinots of the Northeast. So I really like the story of um, sort of bringing your best bottles on a Sunday night. I would have probably just chosen a Friday or a Saturday. But <laughs> yeah. Sunday, Sunday seems good. I like Sunday. Any night to drink Latash is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that was unbelievable. Well, you uh, you segued us perfectly into Napa. So the other wine in your glass, since you do love some of these these greats in Bordeaux, um, and since you mentioned Harlan, uh, we're not drinking Harlan, but we are drinking an adjacent wine to the Harlan property. So we're drinking a 2014 Heights Martha's Vineyard. Um, I don't know if you've had this wine before, but this is a super, super classic. They've been producing wines since the 60s. Uh, and Martha's Vineyard is, is really considered one of the iconic vineyards in Napa Valley, situated in Oakville, literally right next door. You can see it from Harlan's property, um, known for having more of this like eucalyptus nose and being a little bit more stylistically in line with something like Bordeaux and a really high quality one at that. So um, if you hadn't been introduced to it, uh, we wanted to be the ones to introduce you to it. Um, but if you have, maybe this will just be a nice one. Well, I'll tell you, face. I have actually a great story about Heights, which is Carmelo's oh, go, go-to wine. Coincidentally, he's a huge oh. fan. So when we he won the Olympics and came back, these are one of the bottles that he pulled out. We had a little Olympic celebration at his house and it was another bring your own, you know, some of your best wines. And he was the one that actually turned me on uh, to the Heights and always found it to be a great wine and, you know, great value um, for the product that it is. For sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, to drink it after the Olympics, it must be good, right? Exactly. <laughs> I think it's showing really beautifully. I do too. Um, beautiful. I wanted to to show you these these glasses that we're drinking are these. Uh, I was talking with Devanchi about these other day. These sort of the new uh, Riedel, I think they're called Wings. Wings, yes. So I just got these the other day and I'm still getting used to them. And I realized that this is actually the Riesling <laughs> glass that I bought. This for Riesling? <laughs> this is for Riesling, but I have my uh, The Heights Napa in it. But it's, uh, <laughs> I think it shows beautifully it's in this sh- glass. It's showing, it's showing beautifully, even in a glass made for Riesling. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you drank The Heights, do you, was it a current vintage or did you, did you drink something with age? Uh, it was actually not, too, he, he's pulled a few bottles of it. So I have had some, that night we did have a lot of things with age, even I think there was a 1949 Mouton that they brought. So it was a wide range. Actually, I just posted on our Wine Society uh, Instagram yesterday. I was going through some of the photos and I was like, wow, we've shared so so many great experiences with such great wines. (laughs) It really, really makes life that much more special. And just each one of these journeys with the players and entrepreneurs and like-minded individuals and being able to share great moments over wine to me is becoming, you know, to me, the greatest luxury outside of spending time yeah. with your family. 
being with great friends and wines, I can't think of anything better. Yeah. Well, as the CEO of Hot Living and, um, you know, obviously being being uh, privy to some of these incredible experiences, particularly wine uh, and otherwise, was that the reason you got into wine uh, in the first place? Or, or, you know, did you have an appreciation for it prior to... Uh, to working with uh, with Hope Living and, and developing the I, company? When I, I've always had an appreciation. Actually, my most prized bottle that I have, I got in 1996. Um, I always loved the movie The Godfather, and I was a big fan of Francis Coppola. So I tracked him down and met him at his resort in Belize when I just had graduated college. And they were new in the wine business, and his wife, Eleanor, was handwriting the labels on them. And um, I went... I had a painting to get signed. He really loved the painting. He ended up keeping it and giving me a bottle of wine and wrote, never give up FFC. And I've carried that bottle of wine for 20 plus years. Um, So I've always had an appreciation with the media company. Um, It gave me more access to being able to go to sit at Harlan's table at auction Napa Valley with Stan Kroenke. And I did that for a few years. I said, wow, you're seeing things at a very high level. And some of those tasting dinners and vintner dinners were some of the most unique experiences. And um, so the, the the media component definitely helped, but I've always had a passion and I always kind of use wine as a reward. If, you know, something happens, we have a successful deal or do that. It's always a great way to reward yourself um, with a special bottle. So, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just been a beautiful journey. So I'm very thankful for all the beautiful bottles that I've gone to share over the years. Yeah, I, I want to rewind to Francis because I can't stop thinking mm-hmm. about that story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Francis Porcopola, of course, who uh, now is the, the owner and proprietor of Inglenook, one of another classic, historic, probably the, yeah. the most historic uh, winery in, in Napa Valley, maybe even in California. Um, have you, Did you stay in touch with him? Have you talked to him since that day? I actually... Um, I don't know. I'm a huge, huge fan. So we visited his resorts and things like that. And for his 80th birthday, um, which just passed, we were going to do an issue all dedicated on the 80 things that Francis Coppola likes. So I've been in touch with his team. Um, he was just, I would love to run into him again. And I was hoping to have that bottle with him and Devanchi at the 80th because um, I couldn't think of the right time. of Because once I opened that, I said, I look at that bottle, you know, for 20 plus years. Um, so I am looking to reconnect with them deeper, but from a uh, media perspective, we've been in touch with them. But you just need to spend more time in Napa. He's here all the time. We yeah. see him. Well, I used to see him at press, and then he. We're super lucky because there is this local theater here called the Cameo, and Fran- Francis loves the Cameo, and he'll often do these um, special screenings of his films with Q and A's after, and it's just like a tiny little jewel box of a theater, a hundred people, and you get to sit there. We watched the Cotton Club, this recut oh, of the wow. Cotton Club, and he he stood up on the stage and just did a Q and A for like an hour. It was unbelievable. So I think the moral of the story is come back to Napa <laughs> yeah. and just be here for a lot more. <laughs> oh, no, trust me, that's the game plan. <laughs> I had a former life as an opera singer, and I can't remember their relation if they were cousins or, but Anton Coppola, who's since passed, but he's a very famous opera conductor. Uh, And I had the pleasure of working with him, and um, he was sort of notorious for singing along with the singers on the stage. So if you were trying to record it, it was (laughs) sort of this other voice in the background. But um, yeah, way before I was familiar with, you know, with, uh, with Napa. Actually, I remember he used the way that he used to talk about wine. It was super passionate. So, yeah. you know, it's family, family tradition. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, you, uh, you're based, you're in Miami now. Are you primarily East Coast based? I yes, between New York and Miami were our main offices, and I would go to LA and the West Coast about every six weeks for about a week to ten days um, when we were traveling more actively, um, but. And now Miami's been more of a base just in light of everything in New York. <clears throat> Typically, I would leave from Memorial Day and come back around uh, the season time in Miami, in October, November. But uh, this year looks everything's going to be more uh, regional. Hopefully, I can make it out to Napa. That's that's somewhere we're looking as things open We're ready. Up. We just opened. The yeah. wineries yeah. just yeah. opened. I saw that. So I've had friends contact me saying, hey, we're getting ready to go to Napa. It's like, man, I wish I was on the West Coast where it's that easy. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of um you know being sort of split between New York and Miami um do you drink differently depending on which city uh you're residing in 
I would say um, I'm fortunate to be able to drink well with different friends and collectors in the cities. We've always really been very strong in the Bordeaux. So it's kind of this little club that we have. But I would say in the summertime, we definitely, you know, trend to more of the rosés, more of the daytime drinking. I've been fortunate to spend a lot of the summers in New England or in the Mediterranean. And where I think that the wine consumption goes to more of like a 16 hour day versus, you know, eight hours. <laughs> um, and Sounds like up, my life. Yeah. <laughs> That's every day now. <laughs> so, it's my job. <laughs> and down in Miami, I find that it gets, because of the heat here, I do like some of the lighter wines. And that's what's trended me to Williamette and other areas like that saying, hey, I could be out in this humidity and enjoy this. And the Bordeaux are a little bit heavier, um, but there's just something about that soil, you know, with the Bordeaux that of that taste that I'll, I'll always be uh, in love with. It's magical for sure. Yes. I, I was wondering too, just talking about the two different cities, New York and Miami. I mean, I don't know this is to be true, but I always sort of think, you know, um, New York tends to be more, you know, Eurocentric in terms of consumers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I used to be a buyer there and I definitely saw that then, but that was a decade ago. So I don't know if it's changed. Um, but do you find that when, when you're with friends in New, in New York versus Miami, are they more interested in the old world? I think actually, and that's also even transcended more to Miami now because all of New York's moved down here. There's been a huge shift of wealth and shift of influence down there. And what happened in a move of in a decade happened in the last six months. I mean, it's just as far as this, you know, the big hedge funds, the guys that were big wine on the higher end side, and people look at these wines as commodities and so forth. So I find that a big part of our circle is a lot of the old world wines, unless you're looking at some of the Napa names that have created that sort of um, brand appreciation. Because I find that also, in a good way, in a bad way, social media has come into the wine world, and um, it's made wine more of a status symbol. So if someone's posting a photo of a Harlan, they think, oh, wow, this guy's must be doing well, or they must have closed a great deal or success. And there's a lot of these great hidden gems that don't get exposure. But I feel that what you guys do that's so great is the education of what you could enjoy maybe, you know, in other um, vineyards, like you said, with this Burgundy that I got from Wine Access is that, hey, this guy makes a little small amount of cases. He's there. He's not widely marketed, but taste this juice and you'll freak out. And that's what happened. I was like, wow, what a well-priced bottle. So I think our world is needs more education and needs more access, you know, as far as that. But a lot of people I find that, hey, I just sold this big home in the Hamptons and I'm a realtor and I'm, I'm posting, I'm drinking these, you know, five first growths and stuff. So I think it's more, you know, social media shifted a lot of it as well. I have a question following up on and what you were saying about sort of access and and education and thank you for the for the compliment to wine access that's definitely you know that's that's why we're here um but I'm just sort of, you know something I'm really passionate about is sort of breaking down that the barrier to entry that can seem kind of high for people maybe who are just getting into wine like w what advice would you give to someone who is super curious but maybe you know doesn't have a lot of knowledge at this point so we actually get requests like that and i find things that and obviously you know you can get a brunello for under 40 dollars um you know or you can get some things like that are crazy expensive i think first identify what you like it may be a lighter style it may be a deeper, heavier style. And I think once you pick your style is, you know, and then obviously you understand within your budget. And to me, I like certain wines that help me think. And I find, wow, I drank this bottle. It's super creative. I like certain wines. I wake up the next day and I feel super athletic or I feel inspired. So I think how that wine hits you. And one of the things that opened up my eyes in this wine journey is we were doing a wine dinner with Kevin Durant and he's, Everyone was talking about what was the benefit of wines. And he said, I like to drink wine the night before a game because in the fourth quarter, my focus intensifies. And I said, wow, how's that? He said, because my sweat goes to another level and I'm more zoned in and I'm locked in. So I was like, wow. And I, I was like, oh, I drink this Burgundy's the next day I wake up and I feel amazing at the office and I feel like striking a new deal. So I believe the effects <laughs> of, you know, the wine's almost like an elixir. And there's some superpowers that could be unlocked in certain wines. So I think find your style and then ride with that, you know, and experiment and go to sources like yourself. Because I people consider me, hey, you know about wine. And I find that 
I know about marketing and wine and what people, what's out in the market, but I love the fact that you guys give insight to the level of what you guys do that people could be educated. So I think finding the right source of education outside of your style is the, you know, that's the other important thing. Wow. And you heard it here first. Wine yeah. is a performance enhancer. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see it on like the front page of yes. ESPN yeah. in a couple of weeks when this, this podcast comes secret out. Secret to success. <laughs> <laughs> it's the next, you know, there's been such a movement in the wine industry with, you know, the NBA um, clearly drinking more wine. And, and we're actually talked to Baxter Holmes, who penned that, that very first article. Oh, yeah. He's amazing and, and really has helped to bring wine in, into the limelight in a, in a different sector. I mean, you know, for a very long time, wine has always just been this thing that kind of stays in the same circles and doesn't really move out of it. So, you know, one of the things that I love is that wine is moving into other arenas, uh, both literally and figuratively. So, um, <laughs> <Nice reference. yeah. laughs> swing and a miss. Um, so what my, I'm curious though, you know, as it moves into other arenas and obviously you're privy to some of these conversations with, uh, the likes of Kevin Durant and, um, you know, you've mentioned a few other players, um, what kind of stories are coming out of these nights that you're drinking these wines? Well, definitely like what Kevin, that was an eye-opener of how it's therapeutic. Um, you know, then I've even seen that LeBron speaking about it where he th- he talks about the efforts. You know, there's people that used to take painkillers that they would take other things. And he said, look, after a game, this is what actually helps. They go, they hydrate, then they drink some wine and they do that. And I've been on these different dinners um, with the teams prior, you know, to their game and things. And it really, to me, it's become like an elixir. And I, we had a wine dinner not too long ago, and it was actually with a cognac we did with Louis Thirteenth and LeBron, and he rejected the first, like, six wines that we offered him. So they, they've now <laughs> developed the plan. What said, were the wines? <laughs> yeah, so I was like, you know. <laughs> and, um, and it was funny that he, they, he ended up being happy in the end, and we did that, and the next day he had a huge, huge uh, game for the Lakers. But to see the therapeutic effects outside of the social side, great. It's, you know, that's what we see. But to hear about that stuff was really impressive to me saying, and I I get it myself, just even as an entrepreneur, you're going through right now a lot of change in the world of, you know, pandemics, crisis. Um, There's all those things. And at the end of the day, you're working hard, you do your thing, and it's a great mental, you know, release, relax, and you're, you're enjoying the the journey of the wine. And as that wine's evolving, your night is evolving. So in these conversations, it's really about appreciation and sharing knowledge. And that's why I come back to what you guys do that's well, is that, you know, as people know um, what they're getting into and the storytelling behind it, it's amazing. And that's why, um, you know, with these players, to see it evolve or it became part of the subculture and, you know, Jimmy Butler carrying a little satchel with two bottles of first growth wherever he goes. And then Mello would tell me, hey, look out for this Jimmy kid. He's another, he's out of control. And then their passions. And I said, you know, and it's no, he learns from this guy and this one, it just goes more viral and it comes down to appreciation. And that's, that's what I find that's beautiful about wine. So uh, we heard that you like to call ahead to restaurants before you bring your own wine. So it's actually a question for both of you because, Amanda, oh. we, with your extensive experience as a wine director at a restaurant and knowing that that's Kamal's MO, is that, is did you like to get a heads up when people were bringing wine into a restaurant? Sure. I mean, I always love to get a heads up on anything as far as, you know, what their likes and preferences are going to be and, and what, you know, uh, uh, restaurant experience is the most unpredictable one. You know, in some ways it's very much like, you know, doing a show over and over, but the show is different every single night. So any level of predictability is a good one. Um, but yeah, I mean, what I, I, I read that as well, that you, uh, that you, you call ahead or sometimes you bring your own bottle. What's your, what's your MO? How are you approaching well, that? Well, sometimes we go to like really low key neighborhood type Italian soul food type places. And I like to make sure that our wine's well-kept. And I also like one of the advantages for me is to be able to let it breathe a little bit before we get there. So even if, you know, sometimes we'd go to restaurants that I really respect the wine cellar and their wine program that I would never suggest to do that um, just based because I know everything is super pristine and there's, there's special things I wouldn't be able to even find, nonetheless be able to bring. But there's a lot of experiences that, you know, I would go into as, there's a place that Devanchi and I, we'd love to go to that's just a very soulful restaurant, but every bottle is placed next to their kitchen, um, exposed. And I know that, you know, we love the, the staff, the food, the team, 
but we also like to make sure that my the wine was able to breathe X amount of time before we got there mm-hmm. and that it was temperature controlled. Um, you know, we take an Uber and we have that additional breathing time. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, those are more. Um, you know, sometimes we'll go to an Indian restaurant with a limited menu or things like that. Sure. So I just want to make sure we're drinking something that we will truly enjoy, something that was kept well, unless it's a, a place that we know that, you know, it's going to be at another level and and it's there that we could go on a wine journey with the, Somal- with the sommelier and, um, you know, really have a great experience of something that we would learn about. Yeah. So, so restaurants that do have, uh, you know, great wine lists or, or, you know, extensive wine programs, sommeliers on staff. Um, how are you approaching that conversation? Are you, are you letting the sommelier take charge? Do you have relationships with some of the, the wine people in Miami and New York? I do. I actually, um, and I find that, you know, you find the right psalm to me is as important as the right executive chef. Um, and there's sure. certain places that, you know, my favorite psalm story is I was looking to do my 40th birthday and I went to a wine institution here in Miami called The Forge. And I was looking at Oh, I've venue. heard of this. I've never been. It's unbelievable. And I was going from venue to venue and I started speaking to the psalm and I said, hey, when did you start working here? He says, 39 years ago. And I said, oh, you started working here when I was born. And he's like, and then I said, he started the month, he started the month before. And I said, wow. I said, I have to choose this venue. Just the fact that you started the month before I was born wow. and you've actually stayed consistent with this place for 40 years. So I was like, man. And so whenever I go um, and I see him at a venue, I said, please. He said, well, what are you feeling like tonight? You want to go deep? You want to go into this? And I you know I tell him and he he comes back with the right pick and. I blindly, blindly trust him. Then on the flip side, there's some guys that are just more price driven where I know that there's something that I like, but there's going to suggest something because it's in their economic interest, which I understand at the end of the day um, to do that. So, but I, I kind of go on the sense and the vibe that I get from the, from the Psalm. Some we have relationships and some you can just, you know, sense like, you know, just the vibe from it and say, okay, hey, this is the right person to take me on a journey. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I even found as a sommelier, there's just people that you jive with and there's people that like, you know, really just want to do their own thing. And so you have to respect everyone's boundaries. But what were some of the parameters that you were giving sommeliers? I know, you know, some people have asked me as, you know, the person on my side of the equation, what should I be asking? But what have you found to be the most effective questions or the most effective answers, I guess, to the question? Well, to me, like, I'd like to say, hey, what, you know, my partner, Devanchi, what she would like, because I know kind of going out, let's say we're going out on a date what that experience would encapsulate that, hey, we share both a love for Bordeaux and Napa's and I'm more into the Pinot's where she's not really there um, yet. So I would look at it from that approach and give them some insight and saying, hey, this is what, this is what you know, we're looking to enjoy tonight. Or if it's I'm going out with some of our you know, collectors types that have a specific style, I would say, hey, what could you do you know, that'll impress this um, person that has access to this, this, and this. So sometimes they can come back with a treat that, hey, you know, I've had this sitting here or that. But I try to give a little bit of a sort of a reference of where we want to take our, va- our you know, wine vacation and then let him yeah. uh, sort of, uh, you know, plan the, the trip for us. I think those are super helpful parameters, you know, it, talking about more of the experiential uh hopes for the evening versus, you know, like, I really want a wine that tastes like blackberries. Like, yeah. how many times do we <laughs> yeah. get Like, nobody knows that. Um, you know, I think that's, that's, and that's, that's one of those things that I've really appreciated when people are like, you know, listen, I'm with these clients. I need to impress them. Uh, they've had X, Y, and Z wines, and I really want something that maybe they haven't had before. What would you suggest? And those are always the, the most fun parameters personally for me to work within. But um, I, I also think they're also the most successful because it it opens you up maybe to a, a broader range of wines that you wouldn't maybe have explored otherwise. That must have been kind of fun, like solving a puzzle. Oh my gosh, it's the best. It was my favorite. <laughs> it was literally, so, and this is why I love this part of the podcast where like we take the parameters that you already love and sort of like reconfigure them. And then we try to figure out what they're going to drink <laughs> and what they're going to like. So that's, that's my favorite part. Like the deduction process of like diagnosing which wine is going to cure your 
your ailment. It's interesting to hear you talk that, you know, that way about sort of selecting wines for other people. Like sort of that is breaking down it like it's a puzzle is, is how, what I like about blind tasting actually yeah. is this sort of like tasting like a detective. For sure. You know, and yeah. then, yeah. And then bringing <laughs> down. So inter- interesting that, that we we think about wine in the same way, just in, in different parameters. Yeah. But um, um, Kamal, one other thing we read about you was that you're, you're not really a, a Selling many wines. You're, um, well, I mean, not in that the, because you, not in the in the thousands, but I mean, we will have at least you know maybe probably eighty first growth sitting at the house that we have. I have some eighty twos. I have some stuff that we're going to start drinking. I was waiting more to share with family because we do with a lot Vanessa of Vanessa and Amanda. Is yeah, what you meant so to say. We <laughs> so <laughs> we have some stuff, but. We drink a lot of the wine, so I was fortunate. We visit our families. We're, the special ones I was keeping, but now I'm sharing the special ones with the special ones. So that's why we're becoming more of consumers. But um, we definitely have some beauties that we've kept, and uh, you know, I enjoy looking at them and so forth. But now I enjoy sharing them more than more than ever. <laughs> wine is meant to be shared with great people, which is you know, hopefully what we're doing today. Um, what is what is your feeling about about the point system? Is it something that that you think is helpful? Is it something that you, do, you, you yourself utilize? I think it is, you know, it's there's it's sort of a gift and a curse because at the end of the day, there's a lot of great independence or people that not may not be discovered. Um, but then the insta, insta, um, internet and Instagram becomes a playing field that helps level it out where people may find a cult hit and so forth. I think it does help in certain things when I look, hey, this was you know t- tried and so forth um, and it has the ratings. I was also thinking in my eyes, like in these NBA and these dinners of the, the Louis Fonsies of the world and so forth, creating a rating system more by people that are passionate about wines but there is a science behind it. So I think that, you know, and then there's also, I'm presuming there's also the commercial side behind it as well. But for me, there is um, a guide where it helps. And I did find that, you know, over time that it's been pretty accurate, but I do like exploring stuff that's not there and just gaining knowledge from, you know, I really was touched by reading how you guys tell the stories in Wine Access of how someone told you about the guy down the street you went up and he's doing, you know, 5,000 or 500 cases. And then you vibe with the guy and you said, hey, wow, what a magical place. And he's not, he probably doesn't even know what Instagram is or, you know, sharing on Facebook or all that. But he knows how <laughs> to make great wine with his wife and, you know, they're doing it. And so I think that type of stuff, and they may not think about submitting, you know, to this jury or doing that. So as I said, it's a gift and a curse. There's a lot of people that may not do that, but I think the Instagrams of the world and the internet, gives people a ch- another chance of a voice like that. Uh, yeah, and, and I think I think you sort of summed that up perfectly too in that like some people don't even, you know, they don't think about points, they don't submit for points. It doesn't mean that those aren't great wines, but either they're they're too small. Some people just, they, they just frankly don't, don't want to submit wines at all, you know, to critics. They want people to just form their own opinions. So yeah, I think, I think if you find a critic whose palate aligns with yours, it can be super helpful. But I always really love when people also start to trust themselves. Yeah. And their own palettes. And, yeah. you know, that just comes from sort of exploration and, you know, bravery. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you well, guys I mean, feel it. about ratings? Well, you know, I think I I have always said or maybe often said uh, that for me, the the ratings were the re- are the reason that I have a job. I mean, it is it is essentially why Americans got into wine in the way that they have. And we have, you know, the Robert Parkers of the world to really thank for that. And 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 specifically Robert Parker. I mean, right. I, you, you actually can't use him as a proxy because he is the one that really started it. Um, so, you know, for me, I think it's it's a really helpful access point for a lot of people that makes sense in their brains. Like you can read a hundred point rating system and know that, you know, if it got 99 points, there's a good chance that it's probably good on some level. Maybe it's not your taste. So, you know, any any access point for a consumer to get into wine who maybe normally wouldn't have considered it before, I think is a good one. Um, do I think it's the only method by which we should be selecting wines? Absolutely not. That's why we have the wine accesses of the world. Um, there is only one wine access and they're very good at what they do. And it's the reason I love them so much um, because I do believe that the storytelling aspect is really what, you know, maybe the the numbers get you in the door, but the stories are what keep you there. 
And I think probably, and, and maybe you can answer this as, as the CEO of, of Hot Living and working with a lot of luxury brands, I'm sure that there's a through line between some of, you know, not just wine, but some of the other products um, that exist in a luxury space. You know, it has to go beyond just the price or the numbers or, um, you know, front page of a magazine. There has to be a story behind it. What, do you think there's a through no, line between, um, between that? No, um, 100%. Craftsmanship, you know, you look at the watch industry, there's movements. That's like Turbion movement, for example, that's handmade. They start at 100,000, but it takes like, you know, X months to even you know, up to a year to make the movement. So really understanding the brand heritage and, hey, that this family maintained this and had this, you know, standards of quality and so forth for generations. I think that type of, you know, information is very important in, you know, for, for this, for the consumer. So being able to deliver that type of product across different luxury sectors, I see it in the watch world, I see it in the car world, that having that brand equity and the brand heritage is very important, you know, to know the true story. Cause some people will just buy juice from Italy, put a label on it from a you know third party group, and they somehow get into your Ralph's or that. Um, and then there's other people that are sitting on their property day and night, making sure they pay extra to have this quality soil and that. So I think um, preserving the storytelling and, you know, is very important and, and highlighting the right people that are out there where they're truly on the land doing that. So I think that it's, you know, it's pretty important like that. And I think that's something that Hope Living also does so beautifully is, is bringing those stories to life and the way that you highlight different producers and wines and, you know, you're really drawing people into the experience, you know, whether they're sitting in front of their computer um, at home, they still feel like they're, you know, transported to to a different place. Yeah. Trying, trying to explain to someone why a wine costs what it does is a... It's an uphill well, it comes battle, down to right? brand like equity. It's, it's, it's a similar thing with, you know, watch collectors, for example. Hey, why would I pay 300000 for this watch? Or why would I pay, you know, I was at the auction Napa Valley and a six liter of Screaming Eagle went for six three hundred thousand. You know, I mean, that went to charity, which is great. But, you know, there is explaining of brand heritage, production uh, values and so forth. So, yeah. Um, I do. I do want to remind everyone that we are still drinking on this podcast. Yes, there, the wine has not <laughs> been lost. Uh, and <laughs> the wine podcast with no wine. And I will say this Heights is opening really beautifully. It is. Yeah, it's gotten sort of just much more perfumed. Yeah, yeah. Every you know, it reminds me a little of like a, um, a La Rose. Mm. You know, it's got that sort of mm-hmm. umami. I love the freshness on it too. too. Yeah, yeah. It's tasty wine. So I'm curious, um, you, with your partner, Devanshi, do you usually agree on on Ooh, what you like? Or do you ever find something where maybe she loves it and it's not your thing or vice versa? No, what's been amazing with Devanshi is that throughout the journey, we've both been willing to learn. But she knows I had a little bit more experience and she was the became a part of the an honorary member of the crew because you know these wine dinners were done with three or four guys and one of the most important dinners that we she came to the night before Mello got traded he, we didn't know he was getting traded and we're having pizza and doing a crazy wine dinner and 6:30 in the morning we all get a google alert um and so we were brought into a lot of special uh, situations but she knows her palate and she was very very into nap and it evolved to bordeaux so We've been on the journey together, so there's a little room for error, minus my new found love for American Pinots, which, you know, I find was driven by Florida weather and, you know, my brother Mello teaching me a little bit about what's going on out in his his, uh, region now. It's a good Yoda to have. Yeah. I, mean, I did not have that. Yeah. Nor I. I. Yeah. <laughs> and clearly he has some great wine. So kudos to you. Um, we play a little game on this podcast called Drink, Drink, Drunk. It's a fill in the blanks. Uh, I'm going to give you three sentences. You're going to fill in the blanks. So uh, first question is, never would I ever drink blank? Before driving. Ooh, okay. Good answer. Uh, a wine I've never drank before but would like to is... I don't know which one I haven't tried yet because I think I've hit. Um, there's definitely a special year Harlan that I, I I would like to try. Probably the highest rated Harlan. I've had a limited amount of Harlan. I fell in love with it from the few wine dinners, and you know. But I would like to try something special from the. Even though I was at their um, vintners dinner, 
but I've been very fortunate to try um, a lot of the great wines that, that, that I've wanted to. I can't think of anything that's been unattainable, but I did recently learn about five, six months ago about the Le Pen. Oh, mm-hmm. and, that's mine, actually. I've never had it. <laughs> so I, I, I it I was like either. an 82 <laughs> some crazy bottle and we didn't even know what it was. And I was like, wow. And now I'm starting to see it more and more. So I actually mm-hmm. drank my dream bottle without even knowing what it was. And <laughs> <laughs> so that was something okay, I well, beautifully well, we'll enjoyed. See, special Harlan. I see Vanessa taking notes, I, by the I way. I just took notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a person you'd most like to get drunk with is? person I would most like to get drunk with? Mm-hmm. Uh, Devanchi. <laughs> Good man. Yeah. Excellent man. I like to get drunk with my partner too. I'm sure you do too. Yes. <laughs> um, well, your uh, you at at a Hot Living have been really diving into uh, into the wine side of things. Did you start something called Hot Wine Society? So it was it actually started from that dinner. Uh, what that Mello said, two of the best. And I was like, I just wanted to do an Instagram. I mean, I that's the we. That Instagram I personally run, and it's just something I do, and you know, from my wine journey, and I did it, and I started getting great responses. People are telling me, "Hey, and I should be directing the questions to you." And hey, what do you, what do you recommend for sub one hundred? I can maybe afford forty, thirty. So I'm getting all these responses, and then the Kevin loves and the Mellows they start following. I said, "Hey, great idea!" And I would do these dinners where when I found out the U.S. Olympic team was doing a five-city tour before going to Brazil, I spoke to Mello and I said, how about I, uh, we underwrite a wine dinner in each city? You in, you know, we host it you, um, with you and you bring out the guys. And that was such a home run for these guys because you know, they didn't have to sit there and be bothered by paparazzi. We would do it in wine cellars, homes, and the camaraderie built with each other that we would share these stories. I was like, this was unbelievable. So... You know, Do you have a, a no social policy during these dinners? No, actually, I like that. You know, if they're promoting us and the wines, it's good. But it was cool. Like the, we brought a gentleman in Houston, had maybe 16,000 bottles. And he said, oh, Durant, I took a birth year bottle of your mother's in the 19th. I said, his mom's born like 63. I was like, oh, yeah, he's only in like his <laughs> 20s. He was in like his 20s. And so mixing those wine collectors with the entrepreneurs, with the players, there's a lot of magic that comes out you know, through that whole process. So, you know, it's kind of like blending a wine, putting all the people together, and then just seeing the magic that comes out of it. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I do too. Are you, speaking of which, are you are you ever going to make your own wine? Do you think that's on the table for you? Well, I, I think this my has to be a goal, question now. No, but my goal <laughs> with that is I truly, truly love the Napa Valley Reserve. And I think mm. that's a smart way of making your own wine. Um, you know, and one of the things that's a wine memory that will live for me forever is what we did with Kobe Bryant at the Napa Valley Reserve. And um, I worked closely with uh, LVMH and Hublot, the watch company, and he was a global ambassador. And they said, you know, in the meetings with him, then he was talking about, I want to be known as Vino getting better with age. And I said, well, there's no better place to launch the watch than the Napa Valley Reserve. And I had met the North Fleets through my um, auction Napa Valley experiences. So I said, look, I have um, I have one I'd like to suggest. And they said, oh, we don't do events. We do experiences. I said, well, I'd like to do an experience then. <laughs> and they said the experience is to blend wine uh, with Kobe. And I said, okay, great. And Kobe's watch actually came in a wine box with a, cor- with a carbon oh, fiber cool. corkscrew. And to be a part of that, and I'd sent the L, uh, the Hublot CEO, I said, you must go to this. And I called Phil Norfleet, and they called me and said, wow, what a magical place. You think, Co-? I said, Kobe will freak out because if you realize what the heritage of, you know, the reserve between the Harlan, the Screaming Eagle and that, and just the privacy and the whole thing that he'd really, really appreciate this. And that day, just sitting there with him and, and I was like, wow, this is a super cool, magical experience that. I will Napple forever be engraved in my heart and the reserve. And the first night I met Devanchi's dad, uh, he was talking about, hey, I heard you like wine. And he kind of vetted me by saying, have you heard of the Napa Valley Reserve? And he said, I have a bottle of that. So I said, oh, yes, I know them. I've been there and that. So that, that place is very special to me. So instead of 
You passed the test. Uh, yeah, so I, I passed. I, I hope I passed the test. And um, separate from that, I, I do love what the reserve does, and I like how they blend it to your palate. And you don't have the full, you know, overhead of taking over and moving on to the. Although that would be a dream of mine to, you know, be in Tuscany. You know, we would be out there uh, doing the wine as something full time. But um, right now, my goal is set on a Napa Valley Reserve. Uh, Blend. Well, and I think something like, yeah, the Napa Valley Reserve is super smart for someone who, you know, does want to sort of have an influence, put your fingerprints on a wine, you know, but just come in for sort of, you know, the fun part, the yeah. blending session. <laughs> right. you, don't have to, you don't have to work the glue machine on the bottling line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, the Napa Valley Reserve is super cool for those who are listening that are like, what are these guys talking about? It's this sort of private club experiential um, place where members really have access to grapes and winemakers and um, they can be as involved or not involved as they want. But essentially, you know, you create your own, your own cuvee, which is very, very cool. Um, and it's all part of, part of the Harlan umbrella, which is yeah, even cooler. So, um, super special experience. Just being very that, special. that view, that air and the Norfleets are just great people. So the very first time I visited Napa, my very, very, very first stop was the Napa Valley Reserve. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, had, I had an Uber take me from the airport directly to the Napa Valley Reserve. And I met Phil and Carol Norfleet because a friend of mine uh, said, you have to, you've never been to Napa. You have to go to the reserve first. So that was my very first experience in Napa Valley. Wow. So that's why I live here now because, you know, you go there and you're like, well, this seems nice. And I was living in Manhattan, which is dirty and grimy and wonderful, but not Napa. Any of my NBA or any of the people that have graced our covers and anyone that asked me for advice, I always send them to Phil Norfleet. And we've sent a lot of sort of high profile people there that have become members. And he's treated us with such love. And um, on that 40th birthday, he sent me a beautiful double magnum. And uh, it was just, you know, they're just a beautiful family. So everything, you know, they just keep on giving back and just beautiful organization. Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you for sharing Thank all of you. these amazing stories. I know we only cracked the surface with you. I know your your life as a CEO is a very busy one. So I, I appreciate you taking out the time and sharing some delicious wine with us today. Yeah. No, but I got to say one more thing in closing. You guys have been phenomenal because as people are at home right now, that home time has become more and more valuable and the storytelling and the delivery of your wine coming temperature controlled. And it was truly a magical experience. The unboxing experience was magical. And the storytelling, I filled out the, the paperwork of each bottle and I said, wow, I, I never really did that before. So everything you guys are doing is making wine closer to our heart. And I truly appreciate that. And especially in times like this, where wine brings so much love and relief to people in stressful times and you're just being contained at home. So thank you guys for what you guys are doing. And there's a lot of good, you know, and greatness that's coming out of that and happiness, most importantly. So thank you. Thank you. Well, wine should yeah. make us happy. That's, Absolutely. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, we will, uh, we've got a lot of wine to drink. We didn't, we didn't even like crack the bottle. We have some work to do here. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's get to drinking <laughs> and uh, enjoy the wine with Zivanchi. And we Thank hope to you. see you out in Napa very soon. We'll see you. And if you guys make it to the East Coast, please, you guys are our guests and we'd love to have a fun wine experience with you. But yeah, I look forward to seeing you guys out in your home turf. Wow. He knows everyone i think uh that was a crazy conversation he 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 truly does i think um what's what's the game with kevin bacon the like six degrees of kevin bacon is that what it's called oh yes like like six degrees of separation yeah he's totally that guy he's that guy like yeah he's that guy i mean i can't think of anyone else i'd rather like get seated next to at a dinner party just because you know the entire evening you would hear the most amazing stories half of which you probably can't repeat <laughs> yeah. but still would be entertaining for sure and it's been really fun because I've sort of watched your relationship with him grow and you know I as I mentioned I, I met him many many years ago uh, when I was still in New York on this like wild and like a perfect way to meet him by the way on this wild trip to Newport, Newport Rhode Island for this Panerai thing like it was just like such a perfect meeting but it's been fun getting to see your relationship with Kamal and Hope Living grow vis-a-vis uh, -vis wine access yeah I love it just happened organically you know we met them um, 
the whole living folks up here in Napa when they were up on a, on a trip with um, some collector friends um, of mine. And we just kind of hit it off and they have such a great, they just have such a great, um, you know, view on things. I love their presentation. I love that um, they're so connected, but so humble at the same time. So it's, it's been really fun to collaborate. The best thing though, is that they really, really truly love wine. And so it's been so fun to, um, you know, in person when we could, but virtually like pop bottles with them and just discuss and, and Kamal has such a, I think, great curiosity about wine, which is so refreshing for someone who's so well connected and well traveled. He's always excited to try something new and learn more. Well stated. And on that note, last drop, someone that wanted to get into more domestic Pinot because he loves Burgundy, Christom Pinot Noir. Uh, what do you think? I mean, I consistently love Christom. I think it's it's such a just over performer. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I loved it. I think he loved it too, which was fun because I know he drinks a lot of Burgundy. So to push him a little out of his comfort zone into domestic Pinot um, and into Oregon, I thought was, I thought was a great exploration. Um, so yeah. And of course I always love Heights Martha's, but I think like today the Christom is, is a little, that's, that's my empty glass today. I love that. I think that was my empty glass too, but I was probably just more in the mood for Pinot, although I do love Heights and particularly the Martha's Vineyard bottling of that wine. But man, I can't wait to explore more wines with him and with uh, the Hot Living team as as the years go on and hopefully as the relationship progresses. We've got to get him into like some Santa Barbara Pinot next, I think. Ooh, I like the challenge. Challenge accepted. Yeah, we did did Dragonette with Carly Pierce. That might be a good one for him next. You know, maybe one of the single vineyards or something. You read my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if someone wanted to find... Chris Tom or Heights or even Dragonette for that matter before we circle back to that with with uh, Kamal. Where could they find those wines? You can find them at wineaccess.com and then of course if you want to follow us on Instagram at wineaccess, on Facebook at the Wine Access Experience and then what about this podcast Amanda? If someone wanted to check it out or follow it where would they go? Yeah, the podcast that you're listening to right at this moment. Don't go anywhere. Hit subscribe. Write a review if you are so inclined. We would love for you to write a review, especially if it was five stars and one that talked about how much you loved Vanessa's cats because they're so much fun and and a a vital part of this show. Um, You can always keep tabs on us on Instagram via Wine Access Unfiltered or on Twitter at Wine Access Pod. And I have been putting up some fun content, some teaser content, even things that um, we haven't released yet. So if you want to know what's on the horizon for this podcast, that is where you should head. Um, We have little wine left. So I think on that note, we should probably head out and uh, find some more. We are going to do that, as always. <laughs> There's one thing you can count on. We will find more wine. <laughs> it's finding and drinking more wine. All right. Well, thank you, as always, Vanessa. Nice to chat with you. And cheers. Cheers. Cheers.